What's going on, everybody? This is Drew here, and welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. It's Phoenix Down episode number 54.2, and we are continuing our playthrough of Rampa 2 Goodbye Despair. Some shit went down. Um, but, introductions. Uh, we have Matt. Hello. And Jay. Banjavi. So. Uh, the last thing we left off on was finding out that Nekomaru is back. But there's a caveat to that. He's now a robot. Yes, he is. Very shiny and chrome. Yeah. Which then makes me think, okay, is this... Did they put his brain in the robot? Did they upload his consciousness to the robot? It's a bit more sci-fi than this game wants it, to get. Yeah, is he is he a cyborg? Is, is it is robot? is it even is he uh, an imposter? Is he even actually Nekamaro in there? You know, you don't know anything really. Yeah, but uh, we call him Mekamaro now, which is fantastic. Yeah, Love Mekamaro. Me. <laughs> and so, um, we have to deal with Nekamaro now being a robot. Um, but you know what? He's not dead. He he still seems like Nekamaro. Still acts yeah. the same way. Yeah, he uh, sounds exactly the same. Uh, he acts exactly the same. He seems, you know, um, Nekomaru seems like a genuinely good guy, so doesn't seem to be harming anybody. Yeah, good to have him back. Mm-hmm. And now he has some upgrades. His body is super strong. Uh, on top of all that, he can now cry soda. <laughs> yeah. He can, he can, Which, that's fantastic. Skipping ahead a little bit, why did nobody drink that if they were starving to death? Well, uh, I'm not sure. I, well, it's I, I guess that's something to do, but um, I think they had water from like the bathroom and stuff like that because you know that's implied, right? But they didn't they just, they just didn't have any food, and yeah, uh, well, so it's not not really uh, you know <laughs> substitute for food, unfortunately. Yeah, there's a few questions I have to bring up. Um, sure. In the you know. Once we get along with it. But, um, so the next big island is opened up, the fourth island. And this is kind of like an amusement park island. Mm-hmm. With, uh, there's like a fun house. There's a giant castle. Um, there's a horror house kind of thing. Which, kind of for that, used to be Monami's house. But it got turned into a horror house because Monokuma turned it into that. Um, I think that's it. The roller coaster. coaster, yeah, the roller coaster. But I mean, we we do the roller coaster, and there's nothing really there. I mean, it has never pertained to a case after that. Um, yeah, well, the um, they Monokuma said if you go into the roller coaster and ride it together, uh, he'll give him a, a prize of sorts. Right. So they do that. Yeah. So um. The with, to bring along with that, uh, Monokuma also says that he will give them um, information about the Future Foundation. Is it it's a Future Foundation? Mm-hmm. Future yeah, Foundation. Yeah, the Future Foundation. Um, if they go to the Fun House, so um, as they're riding the train that takes them to the Fun House, um, they get gassed. And knocked out. And when they awaken, they awaken in a room 
that is covered in strawberries and it's very bright and I hate the aesthetic of both of these because they're just really bright and just kind of jarring, which I think is the point. Yeah, um, basically. Yep. So, um, welcome to the Strawberry House, uh, which is part of the um, the Fun House itself. Uh, there are no exits. Um, there are three floors of the Strawberry House. And um, there's an elevator, as well as a giant tower kind of thing. Um, but interesting note is is that there's a door opposite of the entrance to the Strawberry House in the tower that has a grape on it. Um, and we can't open that door, um, no matter how hard we try. Um, so we decide to jump on the elevator. We jump on the elevator, and... There's something weird about the elevator. It doesn't feel like you're actually moving for the mm -hmm. most part. Um, but when the elevator opens, you're now in the grape house, which is basically the same as a strawberry house, except it's, it's shaped differently. Um, and then there's another tower. When you go into the grape tower, there's a gigantic door there that has a strawberry on it. So we come to the conclusion that this is two buildings that are connected via the tower. And it seems like you can only be in the tower from one point or another. So if you enter in from the right, which is through grape, uh, you can't keep going into strawberry. So we're like, okay, so what the fuck are we doing here? Well, Monokuma says that um, you guys aren't going to leave this place until the killings begin, which is kind of the motive. Um, and uh, they're like, well, we don't have any food here. And he's like, that's the point. So you better start killing now. Yeah, that's very straight into the point, this one. This one's not some kind of elaborate video game, you know, or some kind of secret information. This is just basic survival. So, um, so I'm, I'm immediately wary of Akane. <laughs> <laughs> As you should be. So we go throughout a couple of days without eating. Uh, and then on the second day, I believe, Monokuma then requires us to go at 7 a.m. to... 7.30. Was, that, was it 7.30? Mm-hmm. I thought it was 7 on the dot. Uh, I have written down 7.30. I have written down 7. Really? Oh, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter too much until later. Yeah. Um, but he requires everybody to go and do Tai Chi, um, certain types of aerobics, to um, basically work up their appetite even more. Yeah, kind of a dick move even further. Yeah. Um, and if they don't come to that class, well... There's going to be a punishment for it. So everybody has to go. Um, try to imagine. So yeah, at this at this point, everyone is really hungry. Everyone's really fed up. And uh, there is this one room in the building called uh, the final dead room. Right. 
And apparently, that's like the only place they haven't investigated because uh, when you go in, you're supposed to undertake a, a life-risking game. And once you win, Monokuma said he will reward the, the winner with an ultimate weapon. So Hajime thinks that maybe the exit is here. You know, Maybe that's the way to get out. So he kind of sneaks out and goes to the final dead room. But Chiaki spots him and stops him. Yeah. from going in because uh, she says that you're not going to find what you what you're looking for there you're just going to find like weapons and that's just going to make things worse so Hajime just goes back to bed at this point yeah um which i i will say i've been keeping notes like i said i would um and mm-hmm. i want to read these vague ass notes off sure up to this point first note is strawberry house slash grape house uh second note says um starve unless killing begins um, <laughs> having to do aerobics. No one trusts Hajime. Um, oh, we uh we actually didn't go into that fact because of uh the whole like people still think he's the traitor kind yeah. of thing because he has no ultimate skill. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, and then I put Chiaki acts funny at the door, <laughs> and I was just like, hmm, that's weird, because it was like in a weird like you know starving stupor where we yeah. kinda, we kind of shuffled down and then Chiaki just kind of like no don't go in there um and i was like that's that's I, I, for some reason i wanted to write that down i think this game's done that pretty well like i i like that it has a good balance of you, you things happen that you think are odd but you don't really know exactly why at the moment and it does a really good job of laying those like foundations for you to try and figure out later if you can even remember what happened Exactly. It doesn't. It doesn't spring things out of you nowhere. It kind of just like Matt said. It lays the foundation. Like it has these little hints and foreboding, and uh, once that like climactic revelation hits, it actually harkens back to those small tiny moments that you might have forgotten, and then brings it all together. It's a good narrative tool. Yeah, and um, but that's especially where it gets caught up at. Um, so. Uh yeah. So at that at that point, Hajime goes back to sleep, but um, as he's sleeping, here's here's a large crashing noise. Yeah. And then he goes back to sleep again, and uh, well, it's you know it's seven thirty. Uh, and he kind of just wakes up in the stupor. He has no way to tell time because the only way for him to see the uh, the time is a clock in the in the lounge. So he, he notices that you know it's just like seven ish. So he has to go to the uh, you know the Monokuma Tai Chi thing. So he kind of stumbles along and goes there and finds that uh, Mekamaro is dead. Yes. So um, there's a few things that I, that I do want to touch on that I forgot about was um, the rooming. Um, so each house. The um the strawberry house and the uh, grape house have five rooms in them, and they originally set it up to where the girls had the rooms on grape house and the guys had the rooms in strawberry house. Uh, but there was you know obviously a guy left over, so uh, Hajime stayed with the girls. Um, and uh, that comes up later, and, I, and that's one of the things I want to bring up uh, because I wrote it down on my notes. Um. So yeah, uh, we find Mekumaru um, appears to be beaten to death. Um, there's yeah, just a, bits. yeah uh, his arms have been detached, which they said his arms were detachable. Um, he's been tied up with some type of wire. 
And uh, there's a gigantic hammer laying next to him, as well as a pillar that has fallen where the door normally is in the uh, tower. Mm-hmm. And his head is like dented really hard, yeah. and there's oil spill uh, basically around where his uh, head is. Yeah, and there's also oil on the pillar. So begins the investigation. Um, obviously, there's some weird things going on. The hammer that's there is pretty much in pristine order. There's no oil on it or anything like that. So we originally think, well, that's got to be the murder weapon, right? But maybe not and they're like well we can't lift this fucking pillar and use it as a weapon and it's going to take something pretty damn strong to kill this gigantic robot so we kind of table that for a moment um but we also make a few discoveries um the door is chained let's see here i've got my notes here uh neko is killed beaten to death question mark uh, chain on door, but also a door handle. We find a door handle uh, around the body. Yeah, a broken door handle on around the body. Mm-hmm. And the chain is on the strawberry door side because we're on the grape side right now. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's all chained up, and it looks like uh, the guys from the strawberry side wouldn't be able to come in because of those chains. Right. Uh, so here it says a knocked pillar on top of him is my question mark. Um, then it says elevator is funny, not working now. Uh, somebody has tampered with the elevator, uh, to where it it can't leave. So it's stuck at strawberry, um, house. And, um, so we can't cross over to, um, whoever's in grape house can't come over to strawberry house. Luckily there is a phone that connects the two that we can talk back and forth with. So the guys, um, Fukiko, um, we talked to him on the phone. Um, so there's, uh, him, um, uh, the mechanic guy, um, God, Nagito and mm-hmm. Gundam. Yeah. They're the uh, four guys that's over there. They're kind of stuck there until they can fix the, um, fix the elevator. Uh, but luckily they had the mechanic on their side, so he can probably fix the elevator. So he starts working on that. And, um, we do investigations with uh, um, Hajime in the grape room, but interestingly enough, and something that hasn't happened in this entire series, we take over as a different person, and we play as Nagito. Yeah, because uh, we have no way of getting to the Starberry side. So the game shifts perspective after the phone call, uh, and then goes into investigative mode on the Starberry side as playing as Nagito himself. Yeah. So we're investigating with Nagito, and we actually get to see his inner monologue, which is interesting. It, he's it's, uh, it's, it's a bit disturbing, yeah. Yeah, I put Nagito is fucking insane in my yes. notes. That's 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 fair. Um, and uh, Nagito, after talking to a few people and gathering some information, he finally decides he's going to try to do the um, the ultimate death room. Mm-hmm. Since it's there in Strawberry um, House, so w- when we enter, uh, Monami is there. Uh, she got stuck there because she was originally going to go in there too, um, and the door locks behind you when you go in. And I wrote down Mad Nine 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 vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Escape <Yeah>. room. 
it is a it is a straight up escape room scenario where there's multiple little puzzles you got to solve. None of them really particularly necessary to the plot element, but it's just kind of there for a gameplay segment, I guess. Yeah. Just to, you know, it's nothing. I you guys didn't get stuck, right? It's not supposed to be hard. No, I didn't get stuck, but I know the game did mention it says you can totally skip this if you want. Yeah, yeah. That that's why this like I mean, a lot of people don't play Danganronpa games for like 999 escape room scenarios so they recognize that so they allow you to skip it if you want to right. but i find it to be pretty fun i like that stuff so i played it yeah yeah me too i played it too um but uh the big thing here is is that um after solving all the puzzles um they present the quote unquote dangerous part which is uh, a revolver appears and we have to play russian roulette um and Nagito, thinking he's the luckiest student in the world, uh, decides instead of putting just one bullet in the chamber, he takes one bullet out. And so he has five bullets in the chamber, and he, based on his luck, he believes that he won't kill himself. Yeah, there, zero hesitation whatsoever. Yeah. That's one in six chance that he will survive and just pulls the trigger. And also, it is stated in the file that uh, the more risk that you take with this Russian roulette, the better the reward. So he kind of also went for the maximum reward at the same time by doing this. Gotcha. Now, now I think I just answered my own question then with that. Okay. Um, but um, well, I'll, I'll get to that question later. I but, did actually get, get one point in here with the uh, with the binary. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, I guess, maybe give it much time, but I just basically I only looked at it for a minute or two and said, "Yeah, I'm just going to look this up." <laughs> uh no it's, it's it's not that it's not that hard it has a little tablet on the on the right side of the table where you look up the the code and what they mean and there's only one place for input so you just kind of decipher the one code and then kind of solve it into another and you just plug plug it in hmm. so yeah um and we get to play as Nagito when he gets his reward basically he runs into monokuma and he's in this new area of the building and um, Monokuma gives him um, two things. Uh, the first one is a file uh, consisting... W- we don't know what it's consisting of as the player, but uh, we know later on. But uh, it's basically consisting of all the uh, students' history. Um, uh, not, not necessarily history, but their profiles. Yeah, their profiles. Before, you know, before they were, uh, they entered, uh, the Hope Speak Academy and stuff like that. So their talents and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, and they also give him more information about the Future Foundation. Uh, and then when walking around this room, we notice there's weapons everywhere. Any kind of weapon you can imagine. Uh, but the biggest thing, which I have in my notes here, is window is a mystery. There's a window uh, that he looks out of. We don't see what he sees out the window, but he says this all makes sense now is what he says. Um, and, um, well, uh, my next note is I have no clue who the killer is. <laughs> uh, and then um, the next thing I put is Nagito shows up in the other building. So that's we take over as Hajime again. And then all of a sudden Nagito's there in Grape House. We're like, how the fuck did you get here? They haven't got the elevator working yet. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. Yep. He says, maybe I teleported. They don't, don't even worry about it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, tabling that aside, they finally get the um, the elevator working again. 
and at this point, actually, I'll, I'll mention that um, Nagito having the more extended feature foundation notes about the first killing game, which is the Revenge of Dangan Rumpa One, actually says to says to uh, Hajime that these killings are actually following the exact same order and the way that they're doing. Um, you know. With the same kind of pattern for the the first one being stabbing, you know, the second one being kind of a, uh, you know, the same kind of murder, and then the third one obviously being two victims at the same time. It was exactly the same pattern for the for the uh, the first first uh, killing games and stuff. So he says like maybe there is some meaning in that. So it's just like how uh, I think Jamie mentioned in her email about how there's a pattern and it's following the first thing. So the game also acknowledges that as something relevant. Yeah. And then on top of that, um, there is also a statue in Grape House that is of Sakura from the first <laughs> yeah, game. Yeah, Sakura. Yep. Um, which Sakura killed herself. And we're like, did Nekomaru kill himself? You know, so... Um, uh, then we begin... We, we do a few, a little bit more investigating. But at that time, once everybody's together, we pretty much start the class trial. Uh, also, um, this is the point where Nagito's kind of attitude towards everyone starts really shifting, especially to Hajime. He tells to Hajime that after reading his profile, that Hajime has actually never had an ultimate talent. Yeah, he's not an ultimate like the rest of them. He's from a reserve department, a reserve class. Uh, so basically, what it is that uh, to to kind of bolster the amount of income that Hope's Peak Academy would get, they would take large donations from people, and they would allow these people to come and join the academy yeah. as reserve students. So they don't have the kind of feature or the talents that the ultimate students do. And because of that, uh, Nagito doesn't see Hazime as someone worthy of respect. He sees him kind of like, uh, you know, like a piece of dirt, you know, a piece of trash, basically. Uh, that just happens to be in a fortunate situation yeah he also acts different toward everybody else too thinking that, he, that too. he's yeah. better than all of them because he has extra information that he's not sharing with everybody so uh i then put um uh something about clocks yeah i mean you could you could see that uh, after the um the people from the Strawberry House come to Grape House. They're able to kind of revisit the crime scene again. So the mechanic is able to get uh, Nekomaru's chest open, and his uh, his alarm clock is set to 7.30. Uh, there is a broken doorknob that they find. Um, and, you know, and they also kind of try to come in from the Strawberry side using the, the door of the chain on it. And Nagito is just like, yeah, just try it, just try it, even though that it's all chained up and stuff. And lo and behold, when they take the elevator to Strawberry House, fix the button, and then go ahead and open that door, it opens perfectly fine, and the chains are no longer there. So there is some kind of a manipulation or uh, a trick with the buildings that they're not realizing just yet. Yeah. Was it before Nagito got the information that he, he already had sort of an inkling? At what point was it when he told, um, I think it was Kez to look. He at- uh, gave him he gave him a compass and then right. tell him to get on the elevator. That was before he actually got into it. So he had he had some ideas that the elevator was suspicious, but he didn't have the full picture until he saw the 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 window, and then yes. he looked outside. Yes, yes. he go to take a look at the clocks between the two houses to see if they were matched up. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So yeah, he he was already kind of directing things. Exactly. In this. So um, going into the class trial, I uh, I put um, building is off, and <laughs> so dumb how I write this stuff down. Uh, I put building is off. Uh, maybe rooms rotate is what I said. Um, that's like way far down the the class trial line. I know. Like like the first thing they talk about is like, okay, what's the weapon that uh, killed Nekomaru? And they're like, well, it's just, it's got to be the hammer, right? There's like that's like the only weapon on the scene. And they're like, no, the the hammer looks brand new. There's no marks on it. There's no oil on it. Um, so it's not the hammer. But the the only thing that has oil on it that could have actually hurt him was the broken pillar. So how could the pillar have actually, you know, hurt? Uh, you know, like, no one can pick up the giant pillar and actually use it as a weapon. So they say, like, maybe it was tipped over. But that can't be true because there are pillar fragments underneath the body. So if the pillar actually fell on top of him in order to do the damage, then the pillar fragment should be on top, not underneath. Because, you know, obviously he would have been crushed underneath. Yeah. So that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. But maybe the pillar could still be used as a weapon if they were able to use the the kind of the gimmickry of the tower to their benefit. And at this point, that's where they talk about like the trick of the buildings and stuff like that. Well, see, I, I had recognized that because of the whole compass thing. Because like he said, yeah, it turned 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think the buildings are rotating when you get into the elevator. Like the elevator's not moving. I think it's just rotating. But yeah, that was not- my... Uh, oh, yeah. the, the buildings themselves were rotating around the central uh central tower. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh. um that would be the logical conclusion with the first piece of evidence, but as as the evidence starts piling on, that doesn't make any sense. Because if the buildings are rotating, that strawberry door with the chains on them would should still not have opened, right? Because it's still on the same door, it's still locked, it's still chained up, and yet they were able to open it without issue. So, um, through that, we have to think of it as a different way. We've been thinking about it as two buildings can like basically side by side of each other with the connection being the, uh, tower. When in reality, you swing them both around and looks like they're stacked on top of each other. The, Holy shit! Yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> six six floor building. It's not it's not a three story building at all. Yeah, and the biggest thing, biggest piece of evidence is showing us that is um, Nagito took a picture of the window, what he saw out the window, and said that there's no other building on the opposite side of the tower, and we're also we seem to be really fucking high up right now, so it has to be that when we get in the elevator. We are not necessarily, we are descending, but since it feels weird, we're actually going around the building and coming out on the other side. Yeah, because it's it's a fun house by design. It's made to be tricky and kind of have this illusion about it. So what the thing does is that it actually follows a rail from the outside of the, of the building and goes around, either up or around down, to the point where it goes a perfect 180 degrees around yeah. to the, the third floor or the, the sixth floor, depending on yeah. how that goes. So yeah, the the two buildings are stacked, stacked on top of each other, so now that we look at that, I then put in my notes, uh, is the tower an elevator? Um, and then I put, 
in big bold letters after that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we find out that the reason why it takes a minute to open the door to the tower is because you're having to wait for the elevator to arrive. And the elevator is tricky in the way that only the ground moves. The doors don't move. Everything else stays exactly the same. But the ground is the only thing that moves up and down. So it's very difficult to tell, especially that because it's kind of reinforced with a bunch of LED panels and light sources to make it look like it's the strawberry symbol on the bottom, like on the doors. That can change at a moment's notice depending on the orientation of the room itself. Yeah. So now that we have that out of the way, um, I then... um, out of the power of deduction of my own mind to say uh, maybe he fell. And then right after that, they come into that saying, yeah, he fell, which I, I thought he killed him. Like for, for, for the longest time, I thought he killed himself by, he, he figured this out and then mm-hmm. he just opened the door and just fell to his death to, to kill himself. Well, what about the wires and all that stuff? Exactly. I was thinking that that doesn't even make any sense. So, um, and that's what they bring up is that he's been tied up. So how the hell could somebody tie him up like that? He's a strong, gigantic robot. And they said, well, remember there is a button that makes him go to sleep. And, uh, he does not, um, wake up unless his internal clock goes off. So, um, that then comes into play because, Somebody has both manipulated time as well as um, set everything up, not only for Nakamaru, but for everybody else as well. But the thing about it is that uh, this this individual, this killer, A, must have been through the final dead room because the ultimate weapon in this case is not the hammer, it's not the wires or anything like that. It's the knowledge of how the buildings and the structure of the, of the elevator works that was used and if you didn't know about that if you didn't go through the final dead room then you would not have that knowledge in order to use it um yeah so were... go ahead also there was the hammer which we assumed could have only come from the dead room yeah yes, because correct. else in either of the two buildings where it could have been stored uh the same thing with the wires around nekomaro as well so, um, on that point, we had to realize that somebody who was able to get behind Nekamaru, push the button on the back of his neck, make him fall asleep, and then tie him up, and then drop him. Um, I thought it was funny that they made a point here to say, well, but I don't understand. Nobody could get the drop on him and get behind him and push his button. Yeah, because Nekamaru is very, very skilled and talented in fighting. Yeah. Yeah, which would make sense if if you went into a fight with somebody, but these people are all to some degree friends, so it's not that surprising to me that you couldn't find yourself behind somebody at some point. Yeah, right. Like I just I thought I thought it was strange, and I, I had kind of marked that as a mental note. I'm like, why do they keep making a point about the fact that it would have been hard to get behind him? Because well, like it's, it's it's not a matter of being behind; it's kind of being on your guard with someone else around and that's kind of different in a way because let's say you know someone is behind you uh doesn't doesn't necessarily mean you're leaving your back open at all times you know if you're still on guard 
are you kind of keeping watch if you're you know looking for a kind of like sudden movement or something like that or any kind of like noise kind of thing then it'd be difficult and it's not just a simple matter of pressing a button you have to open up a hatch and then press a button and that's like a that's that's that'll take more than a second to do as well and also the fact that he's also very tall you know he's taller than everyone else for sure so getting behind him getting by his neck so it would not be an easy easy job even if you were behind him at all so i think that's what they were trying to emphasize. It's not easy to do. Sure. Okay. Did they ever is Mechamaru the same height as Nekomaru was? Um I'm guessing so. Probably never really I don't, yeah. big robot, but but Yeah, yeah but Nekomaru was obviously huge already, yeah. so yeah. I just uh, assumed he was kind of the same size, but I don't think they ever really said it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't... So um Somebody obviously had to get the drop on him or had somebody help him. And then they are like, well, maybe they had an accomplice kind of thing. Um, but the big thing is, is we realize that there's something up with time because Mekumaru has an internal clock that can't be tampered with. And Fuyuhiko remembers seeing, uh, Mekumaru walk out, um, of his room and go downstairs um, uh, at, at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. At five o'clock in the morning because he woke up, couldn't sleep worth a shit. He woke up and was hanging out in the lounge and, um, the didn't really think anything of it, but it makes sense when you realize somebody has tampered with the clocks in the house themselves. So if they tampered with the clocks, it would mean everybody else basically was away from where the crime scene would be except for Mekamaru because he's going to wake up automatically because he can set his alarm to make him wake up. And he had, the, and he knew that he had to do the Tai Chi at 7 o'clock in the morning. Right. So the only reference point that we have actually is the radio clock on inside of Nekomaru himself. And that's, that's a radio clock, meaning it's not a, it's not a clock you can temper with. It just kind of keeps time using like, um, like signals and radio signals and stuff like that. So you can't, it's just going to have keep perfect time regardless of where you are. So that's the only clock that, that matters. And it stopped at 730. That's when Nekomaru died. Yeah. So we say like, well, if he died, there must have been something that, that happened that we should be able to use it as a reference. And they remember the large and really loud sound that happened at nighttime. Yeah. And that's the only time that could have, you know, that could have actually been where he fell because obviously he's made up of metal. It's not going to make like a dud. It's going to crash. It's going to be super loud. And a bunch of people heard it. And they say that that's a noise that they heard at 5.30 a.m., according to Kane, who woke up and uh, looked at the lounge clock. Right. So, um, my other question is: is why would why would Mekumaru? Where did we we found him in the Great Tower? No, well, we you found him in the giant circular tower. Yeah, but I mean, both, but both yeah, but I mean, which tower was it originally? Because now I'm going back on this theory as well. Well, the thing is, Mekumaru was with the guys. From Starberry Tower, right? Yep. So it needs to be on the top one in order yeah. to have fallen. Exactly. That's how that. That's how it happened because the Starberry Tower is above Grape Tower. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's why I was thinking, why didn't he just ride? Because he had to ride the elevator if they were going to Grape Tower. And that means he would have been on the bottom floor, right? Nope, he was he was up top. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that that was it. He didn't realize that there was, you know, obviously an elevator. Some the killer did. So when they knocked him out, they then tied him up and tied him to the door handle. Um, so that when they went down to the great tower to um, open the door, automatically the tower floor would lower. So he suspended in the air six stories. Well, three three stories. Um, to which point, well, if he just hung there forever, what, what was going to happen? Well, they knew that his alarm would go off, making him wake up. And when he woke up, he struggled... So much that it actually ripped the freaking door handle off. He then fell, landed on the pillar. That's when it smashed his head in, and then he landed on the ground, which knocked over the pillar, which was the loud crash. Um, but there was a slight flaw in the entire plan, which we'll get into. Um, so we, we're trying to figure out who could it be that did this without anybody else knowing. And we narrow it down by something that I didn't even think of because I didn't, I didn't know it was presented. That's, that's the biggest issue. It was presented in the trial because Sonia said, I don't remember hearing any crash while everybody else is like, uh, when, did. when they're, when they were being designated rooms, Monokuma actually comes out and says the various functions of the rooms and one of the one of the stuff he says is the soundproofing of the deluxe rooms. Yeah, see, I I, I don't remember that at all. It's, it's, like, it's hard f- to catch. It's, yeah. it's a very small detail that you wouldn't really think. But because Sonia actually mentions that, like, well, I didn't hear it, and then afterwards, uh, Chiaki says, well, I didn't hear it either. And then the only thing that was in common with both of those uh, girls is that they were both in the deluxe rooms. Yeah. So then, um, the problem there is is that. All the guys in Strawberry House, who were still alive, obviously, were woken up by this alarm going off. Somebody had set the alarm in the lounge to make it go off. It's a really loud alarm. Everybody was up looking at this alarm problem. Well, actually, not everyone was up. Uh, Nagito didn't hear the alarm. You mean and they say, No, Nagito. Nagito yeah, was Nikito. The, yeah 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 Nagito was in the strawberry side. He had one of the deluxe rooms because of course he's the lucky student, so he's gonna get the best room, right? Yeah. So he got the he got the draw. He got the best room, but he didn't hear it, so he stayed in. And they say like, well, he wasn't there when we all checked the clock. Then that means he must be the one without the alibi. He must have been the one you know out there doing the job, but that doesn't make any sense because one other person was there. That was also from the deluxe room, and he heard it, and he came out all the same. Yeah. And that person is Gundam, who had the other deluxe room. But instead of staying inside, not noticing the sound of the alarm going off like Nagito, which seems natural, uh, he actually was there with um, with Fuyuhukyo and Kaz and, uh, and Kaz and them when the alarm went off. Yeah. So that seems weird. So that was when I was like, that, that, cause it, 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 let's see here. 
Let's see. I, I put easy knockout with sleep button. I don't know who the hell to choose because that was whenever they're like, choose a person. I was like, I don't know who to fuck choose. And then I said, I still can't figure out the killer. And it says, uh, someone besides Nagito uh, finished the dead room. I said, fuck it, just go with the flow at this point. How the fuck was I supposed to know the luxury rooms were soundproof? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, Gundam, all right, why? (laughs) And then I said, yeah, I still don't know, guess... uh, uh, he was hungry. Don't buy the whole good thing to do part. <laughs> I, I think when you're taking notes, you're writing a diary instead of taking notes. On what I, you're I, talk I about. am. I'm basically writing down my <laughs> thoughts as I'm playing this game. I'm like, the fuck is, how is, yeah. My, my notes are all evidence based and thought process based. So this leads to this, this leads to this, knowing the facts, but you're, 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 you're writing a diary there, Drew. That's not yeah. notes, man. I know. I'm just writing, I'm writing my thoughts down. <laughs> And going back at it, I'm like, this helps me none. <laughs> so yeah, so Gundam is the most suspicious person here. Um, and it makes sense when you think about it, because obviously he had to, whoever the killer is, had to have been out of the room when this happened. Um, the issue is, is that Gundam wasn't expecting Fuyuhiko to be up. Because he was up and he couldn't sleep, so he obviously couldn't walk by him. Because he didn't know where the hell you've been. And he was kind of trapped there. At the same point, I was thinking, if Gundam's smart enough to, to form this elaborate fucking plan to kill somebody like this, why the fuck, while they were still tampering, like fucking with the, with the, with the alarm going off, did he just not sneak by them and go into his room? Because at that point, when the alarm went off, the other guy literally came out of the room that he would have to go past. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's no way around it. There's like, there's no way he could have gone past them without being seen. So the worst case scenario would have been the alarm goes off. They come to wake Gundam at his room and he's not there. Yeah. That is the worst case scenario. So in order to avoid that, he kind of casually walked in, you know, pretending to have heard the noise along with everyone else. Uh, and, and then just kind of was there uh, with everyone else. And he kind of tried to, well, not not tried to, but like Nagito kind of was the only man out that kind of made him look more suspicious until the whole aspect of the, the deluxe rooms being soundproofing came along. And that really uh, put, a, put a damper onto his plans. So I still don't gather exactly why Gundam did this. It's, it's very simple, actually. Um, they were dying. Man, and they so he, were so resigned. He, he was just doing. Were, this as... were, no, like when you when you actually go through this case uh, with Gundam, right? When you actually figure things out, when you start piecing things together, he doesn't deny them as much as he clarifies them. And once you finally say that it was you, he doesn't deny it. He congratulates you. So all this time along, he wanted them to kind of pin the crime on him from their own benefit. You know, to make him look like the bad guy. If he came out to say and said, uh, well, if I, you know, I just wanted to kill this guy or we want, one of us needed to die in order to, for us, the rest of us to survive, that would have made everyone else feel worse. And that would have accomplished nothing other than get pity. So instead, he, he took on the role of a villain. And he, the only thing that he really clarified in the final moment is that he and Nekomaru fought. They, they battled. And he said that, 
there was a very good chance that he would have he could have been the one that was killed instead, and that would have made the murder or the the case even more complicated because they would never have figured out who set up all these elaborate ideas and stuff like that. So that's that's the whole thing. Like he he didn't do it out of maliciousness. He did it mostly uh, to like save people. And his last words are to don't give up on life. Yeah. Is his last words right before he uh, gets executed. So he to me, I think he dies a hero's death. Yeah, I agree, and I thought this was a really, really, almost to your point, Drew, it, it felt to me like it was a little bit out of the blue, like, since when is Gundam the guy that's going to do this? Yeah. So at first I had a bit of a negative reaction, but then I was like, wow, this kind of makes him a bit more interesting, because I had already, like, my opinion of him was sort of going up over time, because he seemed like he was relatively harmless, at first, I thought he was just so full of himself that he was kind of egotistical, so I didn't really like him. But, you know, I, I was starting to come around to, yeah, he's harmless. He's, you know, he'll, he'll he'd be a good guy to have around. He doesn't seem like he's really been overly aggressive or negative to anybody. And then this came up, and I was like, what? I, where did this come from? How was this part of his character arc? But, but again, on the other hand, I'm like, well, I guess there was maybe a lot that I didn't know about Gundam. Yeah. If you actually take the time to um, talk to him and go over his things, like you'll the, the way he acts, obviously he acts very, very oddly. But it kind of turns out it's implied and kind of hinted towards that he is genuinely like a really nice person. And the way he, the why he acts this way is kind of because of his anxiety. He acts overconfident, you know, and it's like a, it's like a crazy person because he's so kind of afraid of social interactions to some degree. Yeah, so when you kind yeah when you kind of get get that across and like what he was trying to do here uh like it it really it really sucked to see him go and you know the whole scene with like him like putting away uh putting aside his hamster so they don't get hurt when he gets executed you know that was also yeah. a touching moment as well um it's implied that Sonia is taking care of his hamsters at this point but uh, cuz Sonia was actually very taken uh you know taken to uh Gundam you know they were they were really getting along well. So when this happened, she was kind of in denial and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it was it's a very sad uh, sad end to a case because in truth, like the only real murderer here is Monokuma, putting them into this situation where they would have all starved to death yeah. if something didn't give. Like like the as soon as uh, the murder happened, what they got as a reward is is food. They got you know they got a piece of bread and some milk so that they would have energy to carry on this carrying this thing because like a day or two later they might not have had the energy or being in the in the right state of mind to actually solve a case like this so yeah it's, it's a very sad end I, I have a lot of respect for Gundam as a character uh, from this yeah. act that's the reason why I had him chosen as somebody who would survive but that's not the he, case he, he dead he dead he dead, he dead. Yeah. Yep. Been and uh, yeah you know the funny thing is uh, we get we cross off both Nekomaru and Gundam in the same case yep so there goes your guys, and we're off to Chapter 5. That's right. So Chapter 5, we are released from the Fun House and are back on the regular islands. Uh, the fifth island open opens up, and uh, this one is kind of industrial. There's it's like a cityscape, um, and there uh, is a factory. Uh, that produces Monokuma plushies. Almost almost uh, dystopian industrial because of the way it's all sort of monochromed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like devoid of color. Everything looks very sinister. 
and yeah. malicious in all the in some ways. Yeah. Let's see here. I said, uh, I said, so Nagito knows we have no talent, uh, and then I put probably lying. <laughs> so uh, you, you believe that at this point that Nagito was lying about the Hazime being in reserve course? Yeah, because he was being a dick during the entire fucking trial. It's true. And, and you know, the like thing this. about it is that um, he kind of put everyone on the pedestal until Chapter 4, right? Until he got those files, until he got that information, something inside of him changed. Like, his whole idea of what was truly happening uh, kind of shifted uh, completely and utterly. And everything kind of comes to a head in Chapter 5 of why... Not it, not everything is answered about why he's, he does what he does, but it kind of goes to see how things have changed. Right. Um, uh, the other thing I wrote down was, uh, Nagito talking to Monokuma, uh, seems like he does not know who the traitor is because Monokuma won't tell him, uh, which is, yeah, that's, that, that's I, the I still, it, I still thought it was Nagito at this point. So you thought he was, why would he be asking about the traitor if he was the traitor though? I thought he did not know. Yeah, I didn't remember. Oh, oh, oh. so it's basically like a oh, memory thing. I gotcha. That's interesting. It's like, yeah, a, yeah. It's like that movie Anonymous, if you've ever seen it. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Um, a bunch of people wake up in a uh, in like a factory or something like that, and uh, they don't know who they are. And it says some of you guys are enemies, some of you guys are bad guys, and some of you guys are people who have been kidnapped, but you don't know who's who. And you've got like so many minutes before the police comes. It's it's interesting. Okay. Um, let's see here. So new place has factories and a military base. There's a military base on the on the island on this island. Um, uh, lots of uh, guns, hardware, and uh, firearms stuff like that. There's uh, a tank and a helicopter as well. All yeah. sorts of gear. Yeah. All sorts of stuff there. Um. And then I put probably remnants of the past because, you know, I'm thinking this is some type of, you know, after the world ended kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I don't know why I wrote this down. I can't remember what happened, but I put Nagito as a douche. Well, sure. Always. I mean, always, always he's yeah. a douche, right? I don't, I don't know what happened there. I think, like, he didn't show up for the past like the first day that we were exploring and stuff like that. Uh, oh, it's probably because later on that night, everybody's like, we need to get Nagito and uh, tie him up. Yeah, because uh, at the end of chapter four, he kind of makes uh, an announcement that he will, you know, basically start start off the next killer. He will find the traitor and be rid of rid of the person, kind of like oust the traitor more or less. So he's obviously very, very, very dangerous, especially after what happened and from the the information he got from the final dead room. So they're like, ah, we should we should probably tie him up again, which seems like a really good idea. Yeah. So um, that night they uh, used Shiaki to lure him into the uh, hotel lobby so that they can ambush him and tie him up. Um, and when they grab a hold of him, uh, the hotel lobby, the corner of the lobby explodes, uh, so much that it knocks, uh, Kazuichi, like, across the room, um, and, uh, everybody's kind of flabbergasted, and, uh, Nagito is basically saying, I found bombs, and, uh, that is just a small snippet of what you can expect, and I have planted 
a lot of bombs in a certain place that will blow up this entire island. And if you guys either A, figure out who the traitor is and make them come forward, or the traitor comes forward, then I won't blow up the entire island. And um, he gives a he gives a time limit of two days until the, the until noon. Yeah. So yeah, not not too much time left. So um, then then begins kind of the we got to find these bombs. Um, let's see here what I write down. The uh, he says uh, the only hint that it gives basically the, the day after is that the bomb is somewhere they ha- they have never been to. Yeah. So they, they kind of look around and they say, like, well, let's go to the Nazumi castle. And then they notice that the giant door actually has been blown off. It's been, like, you know, blown up and they can go inside of it. And, um, you know, it's like a large hall. There's, like, huge pillars. It's like a large uh, large area. There's some weapons on the side, like, kind of, like, on display. And on the, on the floor, there's kind of, like, a mural. And um, it says it's... It's something. The, the, it's uh, to guide everyone to the future, and there's like a there's like a word there, and it's been scratched off by somebody. And everybody comes to the conclusion that's probably what the password would be to open up the door on the ancient temple. Um, which the door obviously looks futuristic, and it has the word "future" written in Japanese on it. We're like, well, shit. How are we supposed to get in there if we can't figure out the password? So we kind of have to table that and keep looking for the bomb. Uh, unfortunately, we do not find it. Um, and then we cut to almost noon the next day. And uh, Nagito is saying, we, or we, we tell him, he comes to the, uh, to the restaurant. And everybody's like, we can't find your fucking bomb. Well, actually, um, you discover Nagito uh, in the restaurant already with some people. And Akane is kind of choking the living shit out of him. That's right, yeah. Like, about, about to literally kill him right there. But Chiaki slaps uh, Akane and says, like, this is not who you are. You're not, you're not going to hurt. You're not going to kill anybody. Yeah. And so she kind of lets him go. And then at this point, um, uh, Nagito says, like, well, yeah, I moved the bomb to some place you guys have been once. Instead of uh, some place you guys have never been, because that wasn't fair, I guess. So now it's kind of like there's not that much time left. Yeah. So they split up and they decide to go searching for the bomb once more. Uh, let's see here. Da-da-da. Looking for bomb, can't find shit. Probably. I don't see where. It... I didn't finish that sentence. <laughs> um... Your your note taking skills must leaves much to be desired, my friend. Yeah. Um... And then I put fine bomb, elaborate as fuck. <laughs> so um, after doing a little bit of searching, we do go to one place that's interesting. We go to the horror house that's on the fourth island. And um, when we go in there, it is Monami's old house. And there's a few things there. Um, Monami says that she is missing um, something of hers. It's like a treasure box. Um, and, um, she's like, somebody stole it. And we're like, well, we don't know who it is. Um, and, but we, that's information that we use a little bit later on. Um, but eventually, uh, I think Fuyuhiko says he found the bomb. Yeah. Um, and we, uh, 
he says it's in the factory. We need to get, go there, but grab, go and grab uh, the, some people and then meet us there. Um, I know we have to go get Sonia, and then we were looking for somebody else who was on the central island, but I can't remember who that was. Uh, Sonia was on the central island. Shiaki was on another island, and uh, right, you were trying to get both. Yeah, yeah. Sonia wasn't on the central island. She and then we found her at the military base, and she was looking through one of the trucks. Uh, and she says, I'll catch up with you guys later. Um, so we leave. And when we get to the factory, inside the factory, there is a um, truck that's running. Um, and it is filled with explosives in the back. Yeah, just like bars of dynamite upon dynamite, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, and connected to the truck is a card reader of some sorts. Uh, and there's a laptop next to it. And the laptop, a video comes on of Nagito saying, um, you know, the basically Kazuichi says, I know how this is going to work. We can't disarm it. Um, and once the truck runs out of gas and turns off, that's when the bomb explodes and the gas tank is almost empty. So we need to hurry now. Um, but, uh, Nagito's video message says, all you got to do is have the trader put their uh, student ID on the card reader and it will deactivate the bomb because of, um, because apparently Nagito says that he has figured out who the traitor is at this point. He just wants them to come forward. Right. Uh, to kind of admit it themselves and also verify his own reasoning, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and then they're like, ah, oh, well, we don't know. We don't know who the traitor is still. So, but like, well, let's just, let's just try out all the eBooks. To see if that'll work. So Chiaki takes out her, just, just like kind of slaps it on there. Nothing happens. It just beeps. And then all of a sudden, the the, the gas uh, the gas runs out like quicker. It's not even noon yet, but the gas runs out. Yeah. Um, to which Sonya busts into the door and says, uh, "It's not bombs." And um, time's up. Bombs supposed to go off. And guess what? It's all fireworks. And we've been bamboozled once again. Uh, another video um, comes on and uh, saying, ha-ha, surprise, it's not really bombs. Yeah, and then he also says that, like, don't you realize, like, how much explosives are required to blow up an entire island? That's just stupid, you know? Like, how could you even think that's possible? Yeah. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't do that. You know, I'm not an expert. So he kind of kind of makes fun of them in a lot of ways about thinking that was actually a possibility to begin with. Yeah. So um, let's see here. We'll write this down. Uh, actually, fireworks, Sonya knew the fuck. Uh, I put uh, music and fireworks out. So um, when we leave the factory, we hear really loud-ass music coming from um, a storage room that's right there next to the factory. And when we go over there, the door is stuck. We can't open it. So um, Kane is like, move out of the way. I'll bust this fucking door open. And uh, when she pushes in on it, it doesn't, it doesn't give all the way. And we hear some kind of sound, tumbling sound. And then she finally decides to knock the door completely open when we do can't see inside it's completely um black um but then almost immediately a fire breaks out in the back of the um in the back of the um the 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 
It's like a warehouse. Yeah, yeah. the w- warehouse. Yeah, like storage room. Um, and everybody's like, "Oh shit! There's a fucking fire. We got to put this fire out." Sonya remembers that there are. All right, this is what I wrote here. Uh, they're they're called fire grenades. Yeah, they're called fire grenades. So music and fire breaks out fire grenades. What the fuck? Fire I've grenades ne- are are a real thing, by the way. So I I know they are, but I had never heard of them before. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, but the thing is, like, there were other, like, fire extinguishers and stuff like that in the room, but they were no longer there. They're missing. Yeah. But the, luckily, the fire grenades were still there. So each of them, uh, they grab one, and then they throw it at the fire altogether. Yeah. And then uh, it doesn't do much. It doesn't really help the situation much. But luckily, the, the sprinkler actually turns on automatically after the smoke uh, fills up the rooms uh, a decent amount. And then um, the fire goes out. Yeah. Uh, and after the fire is out, it's revealed that there was a curtain that was put up um, in the back of the room where we thought the ending of the room was, but there's actually more to the room. And when we pass on over there to where the other part of the room is, we find a body laying there. And it is Nagito's body. And he has been fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is definitely the most gruesome um, death scene uh, of the bunch. He's been he has multiple lacerations on both of his legs and arms. Um, he's got a giant spear impaling him right through the chest. He is tied up uh, on most of his limbs. He's got a duct tape over his mouth. Uh, it's just blood yeah, everywhere. Yeah, he has a hunting knife through his hand. Yeah, yeah, to, through his right hand. Uh, it's, 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 it's vicious for sure. It's, and I wrote down Nagito is dead. No fucking shit. And then I put probably killed himself. <laughs> Interesting. I said using the skier, using the spear, excuse me. Okay. Um, and then, uh, I wrote down a plushie with bloody hole in it. If there's a joke in there somewhere. Um, so there's a plushie. There's one of those plushies that's being made in the factory. Uh, there's got a, it's got a hole in it and there's blood all over it. So that's obviously a clue. Um, both of his, one of his left hand, uh, and both of his legs are tied up to poles. Um, and then his right hand has been stabbed through with a, a hunting knife, and it looked like it had been tied, but it had been burned off, probably from the fire. Um, let's see here, blood on the rafters. Mm-hmm. There's like a like a ceiling girder, yeah. and there's like a blood splatter on there in the shape of a line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the spear is obviously one of those spears that came from the castle. Uh, the, the, the thing about the spear is that it's a very unique spear. It has like an iron cord attached to it, along with the, like a piece of weight at the bottom. Yeah. So it's kind of supposed to be used kind of at where you're maneuvering. You could also hit them with the the weights while you're kind of fighting them. Uh, and there was also uh, an oil lighter that was burnt up to hell yeah. on the ground as well. Uh, most likely the, the start of the fire. Um, the Monokuma cutouts? Are yeah, they're s- kind of like, like uh, cardboard cutouts of Monokuma that you, you kind of could display somewhere. Yeah, they're all stacked up um, basically going all the way to where the door was, which we realized, obviously, when that was what was holding the door. Mm-hmm, kind of like uh, when we pushed it, it became like a domino effect yep. as it fell over. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where my, my notes ended, so there you go on that. 
Uh, okay, and then there's an MP3 player that was blaring that weird him kind of noise. Yeah. Uh, and then at this point, they figure they uh, you know investigated the the scene of the crime well enough, and they go to Nagito's room to see what he has. Uh, Monaco op- opens the door, and they notice that uh, Monami's treasure box, the, the really obscenely pink treasure box, is in Nagito's room, and Nagito was the thief all along. And inside the the box is uh, is a diary. Uh, you know, kind of like really cutesy written. It sounds like it was like written by Monami or something like that, detailing various incidents of the days that's uh, that's happened in the past. Uh, they check under the bed. They notice uh, a gas mask yep. and a rubber gloves and a piece of like a blue paper, like a blue aluminum foil, something like that. But they don't know what that's for. And when they open the fridge, um, they notice that there is a a bottle of poison. It's like a monokuma poison. And um, apparently, according to the the disclaimer note it says uh, it's dangerous when vaporized, and uh, you know it's kind of like you know it's one of those liquid kind of poison that uh, can go into the air and you can kill someone with pretty easily. Uh, and uh, some of it is missing. And uh, lastly, they uh, look through his bookshelves and see that there is a student profile book yeah. that he got um, after he finished the final dead room, and they notice that there is one person missing in the uh, in in the notes. And that person is Byakuya Togami, Mr. Yeah. Affluent Prodigy himself. And in his stead, there was an unknown ultimate called the Ultimate Imposter. Yeah. And is, it is implied that the person who was killed is actually not Byakuya himself, but the Ultimate Imposter, uh, kind of kind of pushing himself out as as being Byakuya himself. Mm. So that's a, that's a piece of revelation there. And that actually explains why his body type is so different. But because he was so skilled at copying his mannerisms and his kind of uh, his overall personality, that no one really, no one really knew the difference. Even us, like when you believe, uh, you believed fully that Birkio was the one that died, right? Oh yeah. When it happened in season one, like uh, he sounded exactly like him. You know, he acted exactly like he did. So there was no reason for us to doubt. But now it turns out that Birkio wasn't the one that died at all. It was an imposter. Yay. We just got yes. played like a lot of characters get played. Yeah, exactly. Got played like a fiddle, man. Yep. <laughs> and that's when the trial starts. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so I was, just, I was like, this is elaborate as shit. And I'm thinking, I mean, the whole time I'm thinking he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, now that we have that out there already, what, what was your impressions going into the trial, Matt? Um, I, I think at that point I had also kind of thought that he had committed suicide, mm-hmm. but, and so my, my actual, my impression was, all right, who cares about the rest of it? Like who cares who stabbed him if the person who stabbed him didn't kill him and who cares about all the other contrivances here? So I was just kind of almost a little confused mm-hmm. as to uh, assuming that there would have to be some other twist to make it interesting and assuming that it was going to be kind of a less interesting trial if there wasn't a, tris- a twist. Of course, of course. So you were expecting something unexpected is what you're saying, right? Yeah, I was just waiting for it. Okay, okay. Well, I'm, I'm sure you weren't disappointed with how that turned out. But uh, going directly into the trial, you don't have any notes for this, right, Drew? No, none. Okay, um... 
So going straight into it, they say that like, well, he was he was tortured. Obviously, look at all these lacerations, all these cuts and stuff like that all over his body. But they say like, well, if he was tortured, why why did they put duct tape over his face? Like, if they if he was being tortured for the information of where the bombs were being hidden, then they wouldn't have you know like a cut out the only way for him to speak and confess his crimes, right? Right. So yeah, that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, but the other guy says, like, well, maybe the duct tape was placed, uh, after, after he was killed, you know, after he was, you know, confessed and everything. But that's not, that's not true because his face is covered with blood from the other wounds. But, uh, under the duct tape, there's not a single speck of blood at all, yeah. meaning that the duct tape was placed beforehand. So, okay, well, okay, that's fine. So let's say he's not, he was not tortured, then, then what started the fire? Then the fire was started uh, when when they obviously tipped over, uh, you know, tipped over the Monokuma panels when they open, forced open the door. And the reason why they didn't hear the the panels kind of knocking themselves over in a domino fashion is because that creepy music was playing on the MP3. Right. So the the music was set there just specifically to mask the sound of the panels going down. But the thing is, if the the door was blocked. Right, uh, there was no way for the the killer to have gotten out at all, because there is only one exit out of this uh, warehouse. So if they set up, a, a, you know, a, like a block so that they can't open the door without like crushing things over, then the killer must have also been in the scene, in the room together, and all all six of them were outside of the warehouse when they went in together. So there is no one that's unaccounted for except for Nagito. So at this point, they say, like, well, then Nagito must have done it himself. But they start thinking, like, well, but he's, all, all of his limbs were tied up. You know, his, his left arm, his right arm, uh, you know, everything was tied up. So it doesn't make any sense. But the right arm wasn't tied off because, it, I mean, it looked like the rope uh, was still on his right arm. And it was made to look like it was burned off. But the fact that his right sleeve was actually completely intact and not burnt at all implies that there was no fire around him at all that close enough to burn off that rope so that rope was tied on before the fact to make it look like he was tied up in the first place so he basically used his right arm to commit the you know kind of duct tape his own mouth he started stabbing himself jesus and then yeah yeah basically so that and the duct tape also serves another purpose in that they couldn't hear his screams you know they kind of like stopped that from happening yeah and the thing is, but his right hand was stabbed, and there was a knife through it. You know, it was impaled. It was. It looked like it was impaled on the ground. But using the monokuma plushie with the hole in it, he could have actually propped up the blade and impaled it. Impaled. Impaled his right hand himself after everything else was done. Yeah. So that was one of the only points that I sort of had a problem with. Is I thought that I thought that his hand was stuck to the ground with the knife no nope that that was your implication it was right, never that, stated that sort, of, that, that sort of was why i was having trouble putting the pieces together at first one of the reasons yeah uh i think you know funny enough i think that was the intent right the way he actually had his hand tied up stretched out it made it look like that but okay. yeah when they actually examined the body they they noticed that it wasn't actually you know like impaled into the ground itself because yeah. he wouldn't be able to put that much force into it after it's impaled through his hand. So they're like, okay, well, so after he does that, he all he has to do is 
you know, grab onto the spear that he's got kind of hung up on the girder up there and then let it go. And then the spear would impale him and uh, he would die. And that's that's basically how he did it. And uh, OK, yeah, I guess I guess that's a, that's a suicide. You know, and then they say like, well, OK, I mean, that's a shitty way to go. And I, we have no idea why they why he would do something like this. Uh, but it's definitely a suicide. So let's just vote. But there's an issue. Um, Hajime doesn't feel right about it. Mm. Doesn't make sense. Um, one of the things, why the fuck did the, why, why did he have poison? And also, if he was really trying, like, what was his goal? Yeah, like, it, it seems completely pointless, right? Yeah. Other than a malicious intent to kind of, like, make the make the crime seem like it was done by someone else, like kind of like planted on someone else, and then kill everybody, there was no point to it. But Nagito is not someone who would do something out of just singular maliciousness. He doesn't, he doesn't want to just kill people. If he wanted to kill people, he could have used that explosive to kill people, right? Like, there was no need for him to go through all this elaborate planning, like, going to the length of where he would literally stab himself multiple times, you know, cut himself, impale his own hand. Those are extremes that you wouldn't have to go if he was, if his only aim was to just kill them. There's one other thing that he, he also, there's two things that he's always lived his life by. Uh, the first one being, um, that he was in fact the luckiest student, luckiest person on earth, basically. Um, and the other one is that he was going to expose the traitor no matter what. And in though in that kind of motivation, it doesn't make sense that he would just kill everybody. Right. And one piece of evidence at this point kind of sticks out that seemed different from all the other cases that we've had so far. In the Monokuma in the Monokuma file that you received after you know a body is discovered, there is a section for cause of death. Yeah. But in this case, instead of detailing that what was the actual singular thing that killed him, it only listed his injuries. In every single other case, it added things like, you know, like a blunt trauma to the back of the head, you know, things like that, or like instant, instant death and things like that. So it would just basically be very specific on what was the thing that killed him. But in this case, it's not explicit. It's, it's, not, it's not put in there. And they say that's... That's odd. If the spear was the thing that killed him, which they all believe would be the obviously the biggest impact, why wouldn't the monochroma file state it? Especially when the thing that is usually left out is important. Exactly. I mean, obviously, monochroma didn't make a mistake. He left it out because it's a crucial piece of evidence that they're not looking at. So they say, say like, well, then what else could have could have killed him? Maybe the fire burned him. Uh, maybe maybe the smoke. You know, maybe he was just kind of suffocated in the smoke. Uh, maybe he just died from blood loss, or maybe he died from something that they couldn't see at all. Exactly. Perhaps the poison that they found in his room. Then we're like, well, how the fuck did he drink poison? Like, well, he couldn't have drank poison because he had duct tape over his mouth. Like, and when you drink that poison, when you come in contact with that poison, it's supposed to kill you almost instantly. So that wouldn't have given him time to put duct tape on and tie himself up and shit like that. So the only other thing they could think of is that he inhaled it through his nose. And since this poison is so volatile, when it becomes evaporated through maybe a fire, it becomes very... 
toxic in the air. So there had to so, be a, there had to been a way to get the poison from his room to the, the the place of the scene of the crime, and we're trying to figure out how that was done. Well, obviously he is tampered with the poison. He has obviously moved it somehow using some type of container, and it dawns on us that maybe he used one of the fire grenades. To which we then realize, inadvertently, we ended up killing him. And he didn't die from his own volition. We killed him. And I'm like, this is almost too elaborate. <laughs> yep. To me, I, I immediately also had a question here. I'm like, well, irrelevant, because this is goes back to the... Um, Fuyuhiko trial at the beach house. If basically, if Nagito forced them to do it, they didn't choose to do it. No, 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 no. He didn't. He didn't force anybody. They chose. They, they, they were the ones that picked up the fire grenade and threw it of their own free will. No one put a gun to their head, did they? Obviously, they didn't know what they were doing, but they did it. There is no, there's no case to be made in that regard at all. One of them did kill Nagito, unknowingly. But the case and the situation presented it, here, it turns out that every single case up till this point has had a clear person. The one singular person, all the evidence lined up, and there is that person. He's the only person, she or, he or she was the only person you know, like kind of available uh, to commit that crime in that particular scenario. But in this case, he created an impossible to solve murder where it could be any of the one of the six person because they don't know which bottle, uh, you know, contained the poison at all. And they don't they don't even remember which one they picked up. They just picked up one. You know, they're conveniently, you know, just the six up there and they all picked up one and they all threw it at the same time. So there is no way for them to know. But Monokuma knows because Monokuma, you know, obviously, you know, saw Nagito put the poison there and he also saw who picked up that one. Right. So it, w- it was he understands and he realizes who the killer is. But at this point, using evidence, using logic, it is impossible to determine who the murderer is. Yeah. But there's the thing that we, that I alluded to earlier, which we talk about now, which is he has always relied on his luck and he is obviously the, the luckiest student. You know, everything kind of goes his way whenever he relies on his luck and he's relying on his luck in this case because his ultimate goal is to reveal who the traitor is. And he's relying on his luck that the traitor was the one that grabbed the correct bottle that ultimately killed him. Just as he took the one in six chance with the gun to his head playing the Russian roulette, he takes the exact same chance once more. One in six chance that the same that the person that he's looking for, the the person that he believes to be the traitor will luckily pick up the pick up the weapon and do the deed. And once again it, it pays off because he is the ultimate lucky student. And just as he said countless times, he believes 
in hope. He, he believes in the hope of the other ultimate, but most of all, he believes his, in his own luck more than anything else. And uh, based on his previous actions, it ends up lining up like completely, completely. You know, like I said, one out of six chance, one out of six chance once more. It's the same exact thing. He did it without hesitation then, and he did it without hesitation again. Yeah. And uh, is it is it to the point where the traitor just reveals himself? No, the traitor uh, says that, that they cannot reveal themselves. But at this point, Chiaki starts talking to Hajime, talking about the different types of, uh, you know, like ways that the traitor might have revealed uh, themselves in the past. And she asks Hajime kind of softly, um, what would the traitor have done in the moment when... Um, uh, you know, with, with the bombs and everything by the trucks when they were when they were there just the door uh, before, you know, what would have happened if the trader was there and the trader wanted to save everyone? The trader would have, you know, first stepped up and, you know, swiped their ebook, right? Right. And they would have been like they would have been the first one to pop. And then, if you think about it, before the the, the person that actually kind of nonchalantly said, "Let's." Let everyone, you know, swipe their ebooks together. You know, it doesn't, it, you know, it might work. And she just kind of did it. And she did it first and foremost before anyone else did. And she was the one that did it. So she says that, uh, well, at this point, Hajime kind of names Chiaki as a traitor. And when he does, she actually admits it freely. Yeah. The other important fact is. How do we know she's the traitor? Well, she obviously knew that those weren't real bombs. She knew that they were fireworks. Well, there was one other person that knew what they that they were fireworks, and that was Sonya. Sonya knew that because she also saw the bombs in the back of the truck at the military base and decided, maybe I can get inside the, um, the ancient temple-looking thing by using one of these bombs. And then she found out that it was actually a firework, and the only other person that saw that it was a firework was Monami. And obviously, the traitor and Monami are working together. Right, because it's already been established that Monami is working with the Future Foundation from the very get-go. And the other thing is that the, the diary that they found uh, in Nagito's room um, couldn't have been written by Monami at all. Because Monami doesn't actually even have hands. She literally can't write. She can't pick up a pen or anything like that at all. Um and there was something in the diary detailing events that only one other person should know about. And that was an event in the funhouse when Hajime decided to go to the final dead room try to, to try to see if uh, he, could get, he could find an exit out of there. And that event, uh, you know, that thing that happened was detailed in the diary. And the person that stopped him and the only other person that was there with him at that time was Chiaki. Yeah. So it is, it is um, determined that the diary was actually being written by Chiaki and not Manami at all. Talk about fucking elaborate, dude. Like, I'm, I'm imagining me putting it up on a map and it's like fucking Indiana Jones, like going here, there, 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 which leads to this, which leads to this. And I'm like, God, this is just... Is it, is it too much for you, Drew? You can't handle it? No, I can handle it. I get it. But I'm just like, where did we come from? Where did we start from to get to here? You know what I'm saying? And I'm just, when you think about how we got from point A to point B in this deduction, I'm just like, fucking hell. This is like 10 times deep. Yeah, it gets crazy. I think when I wrote my review, I think... Um, this game has some of the most elaborate mysteries ever put in fiction ever. 
And now you guys know what I'm talking about. Like all these little hints and ideas that were alluded to from the very beginning kind of lead up to events that happen way later down the line. And all these little small things that come together and the character motivations, like, for example, Nagito himself and his belief of others, belief in that they were smart enough to find the bombs in the first place, belief in that they knew about the fire grenade and belief in his own luck. Uh, you know, being able to kind of oust the traitor with that one move because he had no way to threaten the traitor in any other scenario except within the class trials themselves. Because obviously, you know, he had he had no real weapons of his own to really, you know, kind of threaten threaten them to kind of come forward themselves. He needed to use the trials to his benefit. So he used all of these ideas and put it into one kind of like master plan that that works in his favor. So at this point, uh, we determined that Chiaki is the the traitor and believing in Nagito's ultimate luck just as much as uh, he believed in his own, we vote her. And, and it turns out that she was the unlucky person that committed that assisted suicide in Nagito, more or less, uh, that picked up that one unlucky uh, fire grenade and was the killer. So... Chiaki and at this point Monami is also executed together as kind of like the last remnant of the future foundation. Yeah. And but uh I will bring up all either. Yeah, I will say one thing though. Throughout this whole entire game, um Chiaki has been like a steadfast ally, you know, like someone that you can really rely on. She's always kind of like guided your your kind of uh your logic, your reasoning, your she evidence was the and everything. Kirigiri. Yeah, she was the Kirigiri uh, of this game, um, and she helped you along. Uh, without her, it's safe to say that it's likely that they would all be dead at this point. Yeah. So why would the traitor, the one working for the Future Foundation, who is, um, you know, obviously uh, in cahoots with the people that brought them to this island in the first place, be that way? And why would she ultimately, in the end, sacrifice herself willingly? Uh, she kind of begs uh, Hajime to, you know, kind of point the finger at her, you know, by the end of it. You know, she she really has to ask for it because obviously Hajime is very taken with uh, Chiaki and he doesn't want her to die. Right. But he understands that believing in her means uh, letting her go in this instance. So it, it adds another 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 question, because what really is the future foundation and what really is Monokuma's goal in all of this? I think it kind of alludes back to what I said last week, where I don't think the Future Foundation is necessarily the bad guys. Okay. I think they're trying to help us in a weird fucking way that we don't understand. And Monokuma is the enemy. He's the one that's trying to fuck this entire thing up. Certainly. I mean, it, that, I mean that's, uh, that's apparent from the get-go, isn't it? Because when you first show up, you're supposed to literally hang out and have a beach party and get to know people. Yep. And that was your entire goal until Monokuma showed up and then the killing start. Yep. So that is that is obvious, but the question is what? How? How are is the Future Foundation helping them? How are they not evil? Because I mean this is I mean the fact that they did kidnap them and brought them to this place is real, right? And the idea that they are somehow world enders is also real to some degree anyway, because that that wasn't denied by Monami or uh, Chiaki. Uh, so you have to think, what does that mean exactly? What is the future foundation, and what does that imply for the people, individuals that were brought here? Well, I guess we're going to figure that out in the next 
the next chapter. Yeah, the, the, the final chapter that's coming up. But uh, before the chapters end, uh, a couple of things happened, and I know, uh, you know, some weird things happen. Yeah, so the first one being Monokuma basically announces to everybody, congratulations, you guys um, you guys are survived. I, I have five people who he has deemed worthy to survive, basically. He says the killing game is over. Um, and, uh, in two days, uh, you've noticed that big clock that's been counting down. Looks like a bomb. It's on the middle island. In two days, this whole thing will end. And we're like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean we're all going to die or are we going to leave this place? It's like, yeah, you'll find out in two days. So Hajime, depressed as shit, decides to go back to his cottage and just sleeps an entire day. And uh, the next day, um, which is, I think it's at noon's when supposed, the counter's supposed to end, right? Something like that. Um, he, he gets up and goes to, the, um, goes to the restaurant and uh, meets up with some familiar faces, some of which are dead. Yeah, and everyone's kind of nonchalantly, you know? No one's raising an eyebrow and saying like, oh, wait. Pekko, you're supposed to be dead. Oh wait, Chiaki, you're supposed to be dead. No, no one, everyone, everyone is acting like they're supposed to be alive, like they're it's normal. It's it almost seems like some kind of a weird dream sequence. And on top of that, every time somebody who's dead is talking, the screen is blinking, and there's glitches. That yeah, appear. like a visual visual artifacts. Yeah, and multiple times the screen seems to go black from like some type of glitch in the system. And uh, everybody's like, oh yeah, we got the password to go to the, to go through that big door for, we got the future foundation on it. Nagito uh, left a video message to whoever was a survivor. And in that he actually detailed the password because he's obviously the one that scratched it off when he first discovered it in the castle. Yeah. So we all go to the um, the temple, the big temple there. We put in the passcode, open the door, and walk in. And I don't even know what the fuck I'm looking at. Because, see, I was originally thinking when you open this door, it's going to be the school from the first game. Actually, that's actually not that far from the truth, because what it looks like when you open the door, it's obviously like, this colored, it looks all weird, but it looks like a tri- It looks like the trial room from the first game. Okay, that's what it looks like. It's got the like the round pedestals around, uh, and the pillars on the side and stuff like that. So that's yeah. not too far. Looks like a courtroom, and then the screen glitches out again and fades to black, and then a new chapter begins, which I have not done yet. Yeah, and the chapter is chapter zero. Yeah, apparently instead of chapter six. And that's where we're going to end. Yeah, this uh, the, the penultimate episode uh, answered a lot of questions uh, and raised a lot more at the same time. I, um, I feel right on the verge of some big answers. Yeah. Yes. Here, Indeed. here's my thing. Um, immediately after finishing that, I then went to Twitter and tweeted to you, "What is this MGS shit? Mm-hmm. This Metal Gear that Solid Two shit?" Tough. I was like, because obviously something is not right to which I then said, I think Matt is correct. 
I think, yeah, I, I think I, this is some kind of wayward pine simulation bullshit. Okay, I, I remember what Matt said. It's a it's a simulation in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have it all written down, so we can we can discuss it later. But why don't we go to the email first, and then we'll go over okay. how we did this week. We got two emails, actually. One of them actually doesn't pertain to Danganronpa, which I'm going to read first. This one comes sure. from John, and it's titled, <clears throat> a little uh, blast from a few months ago, Trails of Cold Steel 2. Mm. Um, uh, John says, uh, I didn't know if you guys had a chance to play this one yet. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was nice being out of the school setting and having a giant robot to use frequently. Biggest complaints I have uh, are I'm still not sure how to use healing arts uh, that I can use from the menu that uh, after battles, after uh, while I'm actually in battle, enemies can do this. Why can't I? Maybe Jay can answer that. I have not played it. You can you can use arts to heal yourself. Yeah. Uh, arts, crafts, they, there's a bunch of ways to heal yourself. It's quite quite easy. And even I, when I guess I, go ahead. one main question is: it still forty hours too long? See, like I, I completely disagree with you, like entirely in that regard, Matt. Uh, oh. I believe every single aspect outside of like the side activity stuff that you could do is is necessary for the character building and the world building. Because when you go to those places, and you guys mentioned things like, um, I think I vaguely remember, um, you guys were talking about like, oh, you you fix uh, the balls in the road, uh, and then they're supposed to keep the monsters away, but it doesn't even do that. They actually do that. They literally keep the monsters off the road. You have to go out of the road in order to encounter monsters on the side. So you learn things about the world by doing and I feel like you guys were painting the game uh, in in a, in a, in a, with the wrong light in, in a lot of cases. I if I were here, I would have corrected a lot of things that you I guys were saying. I just thought it was way way too slow. It, yeah, it's it's definitely all every single Legend of Heroes games is a slow slow burn. And the thing about that is that it's that way because the first game a lot of times is all build up. And the second game is mostly the payoff. And the, the the way you do that is because like they don't take like shortcuts in building up things, so they have to go and talk to everybody and do all the things. So if you're not if you're more into a fast paced uh, adventure, then the trails is probably not for you. But um, if you can if you can enjoy and kind of have patience while things are kind of set up in the way that they're supposed to be set up, then I think that's fine. I know I was I was more positive on the the game than Matt was, but I, I like and I know Matt didn't hate it by any means, and I I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I agree there was a few times I f- it felt like it dragged a little bit, um, but I enjoyed the living crap out of the combat system, and like the last like three hours of that game kind of made it for me. Um, uh, yeah, the combat system's even improved in the second game, and obviously the it picks up like one month from the events of the ending. Yeah. So uh, I, I do recommend that you guys play it. And um, addressing the, a lot of the issues that you have with the first game, um, it's paced much better, uh, much quicker, because you already have every single character that you need to know about basically established from the outset. Mm-hmm. So these are just, you kind of go visit the areas, see what the war has done to the country. So there's some really powerful moments where, you know, you were, let's say you took a field trip into a place in the first game, and you see the place burnt down, people getting killed. And that matters more. The, the, some guy that you talk to, some guy that gave you a quest, you were staying at their house, and all of a sudden they start getting killed off, there's terrible things start happening, that actually matters. 
And that only matters because of the experiences you had in the first game, because of all that exposition, all that build-up and setup. Uh, and I think that's why uh, the, the second game is probably the better game of the two, if you're just going to play it. But from a gameplay standpoint, obviously there's, there's a lot more to it, too. Right. Um, but he continues on. Right. My impression of game one would, would improve if I do really like the second one, right? Because they, I, I feel like if, if they are that linked... If mm-hmm. one was a set up for two, then, you know, I, I think the setup is only as good as the payoff that it sets up. Yeah, I could see that, definitely. But uh, to me, like, um, like even without the payoff, I just love the aspect of the, the fact that they were willing to take the time. Every single person in the dorm area, like every single NPC that you talk to had like shit going on in their lives whether you were interacting with them or not they have a story that unfolds within that world whether whether you're there to handle their stuff or not and it, it continues from game to game and you can put a name and face to all these npcs and the fact that that actually matters all these characters matter even the classmates that don't join your party matters and they show up in the second game to do other stuff and they be, and end up kind of becoming like a part of the rebellion force that you end up building up from the ground up it's 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 just it just feels awesome and i i, I love that because games are too afraid to do that they think people are going to tune out instantaneously if there isn't explosions you know there isn't fucking like tits hanging out everywhere and um, maybe they're right but the fact that you know, this game takes that chance and does things at its own pace. I, I respect it, and I, I love it to death. Let's see here. Where to leave off that? And even when I'm not earning much experience from battles, the bosses are often so overpowered, I have to try on lower and lower difficulties to beat them. I'm not sure why there are such drastic difficulty spikes, which I did encounter that in the first game as well. Uh, It took me over 100 hours on normal mode play, though, uh, and I got all the newspapers, books, and recipes with a little help from the, at the end, from an online guide, but still didn't get everything. I could see going back and trying this on Nightmare sometime, never did the first game. Hopefully, I would be leveled up enough to beat the bosses since you can't try a lower difficulty on hard or Nightmare modes, apparently. Uh, says there ended up getting a limited edition of Final Fantasy 15 on PS4, or a limited edition Final Fantasy 15 PS4. Huh. Not very far into it, and uh, not sure how much I'm going to like the battle mechanics. I think I may be uh, too much of a turn-based player, but we'll give it a go. Happy holidays, uh, John. Happy holidays, John. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we go to Jamie's email. Uh, this is on uh, chapter four. It says, uh, hi guys, uh, this has been the most frustrating chapter, although it has been a little bit gratifying. I hate the uh, fun. Is she talking about chapter four or five? It's chapter four. four. Okay, gotcha. Uh, this has been the most uh, frustrating chapter, although it has been a little bit gratifying. I hate the fun house. I found it convoluted and confusing, which I'm su- it's supposed to, it was just supposed, which I suppose <laughs> is the point. Mm-hmm. But still, I could have done without it. Uh, when we got to the trial, I was convinced that Nekomaru killed himself, and I had a very hard time getting through all the arguments. When it came to the point where I had to pick a person who did it, I selected Nekomaru, and when it wasn't him, I literally clicked through all of them until it was Gundam. 
<laughs> she she got she got it at last. Huh? That's funny. Uh, why did I think it was Nakamura? Well, it seems that Nagito has at least somewhat agreed with my connection of the murders from the first game to uh, to the murders of the second game. If that's the case, uh, the next murder should be a suicide, which he also says. Great. Is it a coincidence that the statue at the Grape House is an ogre that looks just like Sakura from the first game? Who committed suicide? Probably not. Also, both Nekamaru and Sakura had the whole gentle giant thing going for them. So when it happened that uh, Nekamaru didn't kill himself, I was angry and confused. It wasn't until Gundam explained himself that I realized it was kind of a double suicide. The two of them sacrificed themselves mm. to save others from starving to death and ultimately succumbing to despair. Fine, that fits the suicide theme, I guess. I wish they would have explained why Nagito got the information after completing the game room uh, when Gundam had finished it first. That was my other question, but now that you mentioned it, I have a feeling Gundam put one bullet in instead of having five in. Yeah, he obviously put one bullet in. As, as any normal sane person would do in that situation, of course. And that's the reason why he didn't get the big reward. He was only able to get the access to the room itself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, access to whatever, you know, like weaponry was there. He didn't get uh, the student profiles. He didn't get the future foundation files and all that other stuff that uh, Nagito got. Uh, and to, to answer Jamie is that all that things that you notice were there specifically to mislead you all the the points about all the all the murders to this point being kind of facsimiles to each other you know and kind of playing out in that same way they were trying to make it look like a suicide uh it was intentional so yeah don't don't feel betrayed it's not it's not it's not something that's like this game has gone out of its way to of make it seem like it's doing the same thing as the first game and then turn it on its head and this is just yet another one of those yeah so don't don't feel too bad on that okay so zero shouldn't he have gotten the information and is nagito starting to remember who he is slash was and why was he acting all weird does he know that hajime is the traitor or maybe he's just angry because he sees it all happening again if he is makoto well anyways uh and uh there were six which is how many survived the last game. Interesting. Maybe that's why they needed to execute someone. Otherwise, we would have been left with seven. Now let's assume the murders are following those kind, uh, those of the last game. The next person to be killed is a machine. In the first game, uh, they were getting help from Alter Ego, which was kind of an AI on a laptop. The only machine that is helping us I can think of is Monomy. Man, I didn't even think of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess now is that the traitor will somehow oust not Monami and she will be executed for reals. <clears throat> Grand theory time. Okay. Oh, yes. So in the first game, we find out that the students knew the world was ending, so the principal, Hirigiri's father, shut them in to keep them safe. The students agreed, and it was about a year later when the Despair members took their memories and started the killing. Is it possible, maybe, <laughs> that there is more than one academy? Maybe the six who got out went searching for their fellow students. Perhaps two of them were trying to get the other students out when their own memories were stolen. Maybe were Bak- Bakia and Nagito trying to infiltrate the school? Maybe Nagito really is Makoto. 
just with longer hair because it's been some time after the first one. I like your theories about it being the future, but I don't buy it. I think this is close to the first game. Maybe not right after, but not hundreds of years either. I guess we'll see. Jamie. P.S. I felt a little strange when I realized that Nagito and I were thinking the same way. Am I crazy? We both suspect Mm -hmm. Hajime. Are we connected with the murders? And then she sent a picture of Nagito with his crazy fucking face. Oh, yeah, you shouldn't be thinking like Nagito is what I'll say. That's not a <laughs> that's not a good mental disposition to have. But she only wrote about case five on case four. I think so. And then she sent a correction email saying I just realized that the email said that there were six left. But in fact, there were seven. There were seven. Yeah. yeah, which makes sense. Six students and a traitor. Um, that's it, because I, oh, think, wow. I uh, think the next email I don't want to read. I'm afraid to read it. Um. um because she I said th- that was her final email. That's the final so. email. It's titled Goodbye Despair. So I don't know. Um, okay. Uh, well, um, ask her on Twitter or something like that. I'll have her elaborate because I was looking forward to hearing her comments about Case 5. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's all the emails I have. I, I For some reason, I was thinking she sent a voicemail, but she didn't. So um, I, I feel like I, I saw you guys have some kind of like a dialogue on Twitter, like vaguely. And then she sent one or something like that, and you said you got it. But maybe I'm thinking about the week before. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But um, if you want to um, write to us, Jamie, and talk about Chapter 5, your thoughts on Chapter 5, go right ahead. Uh, we'll read it on the show. In fact, I'll read it before we even start talking about the Chapter yeah. 0. Um, and we can talk about it there. Yeah, that's true. We could do that. Um, but anybody else out there, if you'd like to send us an email, it's drew at ztgd.com. Um, and, uh, you can also tweet to us. I'm at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS and Jay is at Batusai J. Uh, but before we do that, you forgot, we got to start taking our tallies again. Oh, right. Our, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's see. So one thing that we were able to discern for sure is the, the identity of the traitor. Right. Matt, you said the traitor was Nagito, Buds. Uh, Drew, you said the traitor was Hajime, also Buds. So you guys are both off on that. The traitor was actually Chiaki. And um, looking at the character list of survivors, uh, Chiaki, dead. Nekomaru, dead. So Matt, you're you're out of characters. You are officially out of the runnings for this game. Uh, Akane is still alive for the, the lone survivor of Drew's who will survive to the end of the game list. Yeah. And um, your, your two favorite characters have also died. In this episode, uh, Chiaki, Drew, your, your character is dead. Nekomaru is also... Funny enough, he died twice. Mm-hmm. So that's, 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 that's something that happened. So you no longer have any more favorite characters, so you get to pick a new favorite character um, of, the, of the surviving six. <laughs> Fucking Hajime. <laughs> you can't pick... You, well, okay, fine. Now, it's a favorite character, so I'll let you pick the main character. Uh, fine. That, that's fine, yeah. He's gonna survive, maybe. I don't know. Shit, he may die. Well, it's not. This is not a matter of who's gonna survive. That's already been determined. Your only horse left in the race is Akane at this point. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no take back. So what about you, Matt? Who's your favorite character that you would like to see survive till the end of it? Uh, uh probably at this point, Fuyuhiko. Fuyuhiko. Mm, okay, Mister Yakuja. He he has really uh, turned things around since his asshole days, since the second case for sure. Yeah. He's, yeah, I think he's changed the most out of any character in this game. Yeah, I, I would agree. He had a good uh, character moment when Peko died, uh, sacrificing herself. Uh, 
and all that stuff. That's pretty good. And um, well, we we we, we, we saw the. Uh, go ahead, Matt. I was just gonna say that's kind of what I thought was gonna happen with Hyoko. She was gonna mm-hmm. have that starting off as an asshole and then have that character arc where she would end up, you know, redemptive. So yeah, I picked the wrong asshole character, I think. <laughs> yeah, there there were two. It was fifty fifty chance that you got the wrong one, unfortunately. But the exact character arc that you mentioned did happen, so that's something. Um another thing that happened is that we got to see the giant little clock timer on top of the tower go zero. But we don't know what happened. Not yet. We'll have to wait for the next episode, the final episode, to see uh, whether whether it's true or not. Uh, and to give reminders on what you said, Drew said when the counter hits zero, it'll be a way to leave the island. And Matt, you said it'll be a final round Jeopardy kind of thing when all the rules change and they'll have to kill each other in some other way. And uh, that's that's where we left off. So. A lot of deaths, man. A lot of, lot of, <laughs> lot of favorite characters getting killed off. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is pretty interesting. Yeah, I think. And uh, um... we still have that final theory as well. Uh, Drew, why don't you re, uh, re say what you thought the uh, the overall premise is? Because Matt has already told his two premises, right? Uh, uh-huh. Last show. Why don't you say yours at this point? Like, so what I think now. Uh, well, not not now, but remember what it, what it was at the beginning, what your whole theory was about like what's happening here. Well, I mean, I I thought it was it was vague because uh, like when I found when when we found that temple, I was like, and it seems old and dilapidated, and it looks like the entrance to the fucking school. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, this is happening in the future, like way into the future. Um, but then that, that, that was, but then I was like, well, that doesn't explain Bakia because he's still around. But, uh, we just learned recently that Byokuya that died was actually not Byokuya himself. It was yeah. just an imposter. Mm-hmm. So that does, uh, that does actually let your theory run, run amok a little bit more. But, does. uh, Matt, the, the way things left off in, uh, chapter five, it, it really makes it seem like you're onto something here. How do you feel yeah, about that? I also thought it was way in the future, and I would have explained Byakuya at the time as they were, you know, suspended somehow. Okay, that's true. That's that's, that's also a possibility as well. We don't know the technological uh, possibilities of this particular universe. Uh, all we can gather or gain are from the first uh, game where they were able to literally make robots. You know, that were that were controllable from. Uh, you know, like uh, bipedal robots that are that fluid and stuff like that. So there, and then the whole idea of alter ego is actually a huge deal, because that person was able to basically make a living AI, right? That felt emotion and everything like that. So you know, if you if you take those as hints and see what kind of technology that they are capable of, then maybe you could uh, form a different theory or kind of uh, restructure or kind of basically support the theories that you have already going, but. I, I'm, I'm liking I'm liking Matt's chances here for the things that he said so far. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that too. My, my my biggest question is is I have a feel I, I have feelings of what the, what's happening in this game. Mm-hmm. My question, the biggest question is how the fuck does it connect to the first game? Because if this is some type of big simulation, was the first game some type some type of big simulation too, or is it really happening in the future, or is this happening right afterwards? I don't really know when this is fucking happening. 
So you guys put a lot of emphasis and importance on the when of when this is happening. And um, you guys both believe that it's something that's happening in the future, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were talking like way in the future for both of you. Right? Yeah, I would have said at least 50 years was my... At least 50 years, okay. Uh, okay, so we're going to be able to answer all of those questions and more. Uh, in, the, in the final episode, obviously, because it's gonna it's gonna explain everything um, basically that's led up to this point, and uh, what you just said, Drew, especially what you just said, like how it connects to the second game. Expect a huge payoff. Good. Yeah, that, that's what payoff. I really want. I'll, I'll I'll put it this way. My theory right now is is that everybody we've seen die isn't actually dead. I think that this is a facade of some kind. Okay. I think I think I, I may be wrong, but I think the people like Bakia, um, even like Gundam and uh, Nekomaru, all those people are still alive, and this is some type of bullshit simulation of some mm-hmm. kind. You think? Do you think maybe Chiaki knows that, and that's why she wasn't too upset? Maybe, but at the same time, I mean, in that little death animation of her, she was running for her fucking life in that. She was. Uh, that, By the way, that execution was excellent. My favorite <laughs> execution by far. The whole gaming theme of it, like the tension and everything, was just awesome. She got chased by like a Pac-Man-looking thing, and then mm-hmm. she had Tetris played on top of her. Yeah, Galaga, and this is awesome. Just three things, one after another. And then it's like, oh, maybe she can get no. No, yeah, I was thinking, I was like, are they going to like have her like somehow escape and then come and save you, us later? If you remember, in in the fifth case of uh, of the, the last, last game, one, yeah, yeah, Makoto was able to escape, so you kind of have that inkling. And once again, the game makes you expect something, alludes to it, and then turns it around, turns your expectations around on its head, uses it against you, and that this game does that masterfully. You, you if you know, play the first game, it just uses it against you viciously. It's that, awesome. You know, that the that, that brings up a good point, because I, I mentioned it in one of our Halloween episodes when we played Resident Evil Remake, because the developers of Resident Evil Remake knew people had played the first game, the original, exactly. and then fucked with you by adding these new rooms and shit and confusing the ever-loving shit out of you. And I was like, that's so good. It's not only that, like, changing up the iconic moments of when they happen and how they happen. Like, for example, the easiest example is the dog come crashing through the window, right? Yeah. It's supposed to happen the first time you go through the, through the, through the hallway. Oh, the, the, the window cracks. You hear the dogs. Nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And then when you forget about it, after you go through the hallway like five, six times, it happens. You're like, ah, oh, shit. And it gets you. So yeah, I love I love little things like that too. And it really kind of goes to show that the uh, the developer respects their audience's knowledge of their previous game, and um, it enhances their experience because of it. Because we feel like oh, we're being smart, we're piecing things together, and just kind of like how Jamie is putting a lot of emphasis on her theories based on the first game. The developers are using that information against her in a lot of ways, and that, she seemed a little angry about that a little bit. <laughs> So my other question to you, since you've already watched it, does the Danganronpa 3 animes, mm-hmm. are they a continuation of this game? Um, I know you said one of them happens in the past. There is two animes that you have to watch simultaneously together. Uh, <laughs> one, 
You know what? No, if I if I delve into this, it'll reveal too much. Okay. Next episode, I'll I'll go full into detail about what the anime are and how you should watch them to best enjoy your Danganronpa lore after being the second game. But if I went into the information here, it would it would ruin a few things. I'm not going to do that. All right. I'm going to watch those somehow. You should. So. You should. After I'll, I'll I'll help you find a way. But uh, what am I call it? Um, they do connect very deeply to the Danganronpa one and two. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Right, and uh, that, that's it, right? That's that's it. Um, I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, we will be back. Does anybody think they can record next week? Uh, let's see here. I can probably do like end of the week. Um, I could do like a Thursday or Friday. I may well see. Uh, but the, even then, it wouldn't go up until the beginning of the year. So. I may be able to do Friday. Um, what about you, Matt? I'm not certain, though. Um, I could probably do Friday, depending on when it when it was. Can we just uh, do it on Friday and just have it go up on Monday? Uh, I can ask Ken. That's up to him. Uh, I don't think we have anything scheduled to go up during like those weeks. Actually, well, no. What I don't know what days we're taking off like officially from like posting stuff on the website. Starting right now. Starting right now, but uh, I don't know when we when we come back. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I think you said that sometime it's the first year, so I don't know. Uh, you know what? We'll just play it by ear. We may be back next week. I don't know. Yeah, it's difficult to say. We just, um, I mean, we've done well keeping week by week. Yeah. Uh, especially since this is a game that takes a lot of, a lot of preparation. Like you, sh- do, you do you hear the notes? Yeah. Do you hear the notes? Yes, I have. Uh, it's like eight pages of notes here for this particular episode, and I write down everything that's pertaining because I want people to be able to follow along at home yeah. and kind of you know be reasonably. It's this obviously no substitute for playing the game yourself. For the love of God, just just play these games. You know, like you'll still have fun even though you know how things turn out. There's so much information that we're not giving you. There's so many moments, and by God, the music is awesome. By the way, yeah, especially like like when Chapter Five Investigation starts and that new music kicks in, I was like, hell yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, this on is just. Yeah, shit is happening right now. That's that's the kind of sense that you get when the the music pops in. So these are like a lot of things that you're missing out on. So just play the games, please. Yeah. If these uh, talks interest you, just play the games. They're, they're awesome. So yeah, uh, um, I don't know. We'll we'll play it by ear. I don't. I I doubt we'll have an episode next week. I'll put it that way. Um, but yeah, we'll be back. We'll finish this up. I promise. Um, but I don't know when. But um, I hope everybody has a happy holidays, you know, uh, whatever you celebrate. Um, and um, be safe out there. I'll put it that way. And uh, But that's it for us. Uh, until next time, I am Drew. And I'm Matt. I have a Samsung. Uh-huh. You do have a Samsung. And that's Jay. Oh, yeah. oh yes, yes. That's me. <laughs> and uh, we're out of here. Uh, so you guys have a good holiday, um, and we will be back. I don't know exactly when, but probably two be, weeks. Yeah, probably, probably two weeks with the finale of Donald Trump. Two goodbye.